at our bridge gatherings, we feel it's important to acknowledge our gratitude towards the Semiamu, Stolo, and Kwatlin people whose traditional land we meet and live and play on here in Abbotsford, BC. Uh, some of us who are joining us on Zoom will be on other traditional lands, and you can find that online uh, if that is something that you'd like to know. Um, some of you have not been a part of our gatherings before, and we want to welcome you and invite you to please make yourself at home. If you are a part of the Zoom gathering, please pop into the chat and say hi to Josh, who is in the chat, and let us know where you're joining us from. Some of you are still joining us tentatively, not sure if church is really your thing anymore. We get that. And you should know that we welcome your questions and uncertainty and even your fears. Some of you have a favorite seat and people who know your name and you look forward to our live gatherings and to catch up with others. We love that you feel comfortable and we hope that you will help us to make others feel comfortable too. No matter which of those categories you resonate with, I have something to share with you that might be difficult to hear. So please bear with me as I share this next piece. I will also say um, that I'm uncomfortable with how many words I have to use this morning. And so I'm sorry for that. Uh, but there is no other way to do this. Um, we have a few interesting dynamics that have come together here in this bridge community. One is that we are an inclusive and affirming church for our LGBTQ plus siblings. What that means specifically is that our queer siblings are not just welcome to have a seat in our gatherings, but we recognize their God-given gifts and talents, and we encourage them to join in and participate in our community with them. Another dynamic that is fairly uncommon in this town, anyway, is that we are led by women. And there's not just one woman leading, but two. And while we have navigated these last years through COVID with some success, there have also been challenges. <clears throat> this past month has been one of the challenging times. Just because we're doing a lot of things right doesn't mean we're doing everything right. Women can fail too. And all you guys out there saying, I knew it. Mark this day in your calendar and buy your wife flowers next year. The following will fill that failure in for you. This morning uh, is our last gathering with Karina and Josh. And if you have not been with us the last several weeks, we have been announcing that Karina has resigned from her lay pastor role and both Josh and Karina have stepped off the steering team and are stepping away from our community. This is difficult news for all of us, but we want to be gracious. We want to graciously accept Karina's process and conclusions and that this is the best way 
for her to care for herself. If you have had the privilege of having a conversation with Karina, or have been in her home, or have experienced her enthusiasm for life, you will know what a lovely and kind person Karina is. We invite you all to write a note and share your love with both Josh and Karina this morning. Uh, as I said, there's a card back at the round table that has pens there. Um, please sign that as we bless them and encourage them on their journey. So I want to tell you a story. It happens exactly a year ago this month. Uh, it was one of our first live gatherings after another COVID shutdown. And it was a beautiful, sunny day, spring weather. It was just gorgeous. We had everything moved out of this room and downstairs, and people were putting things into vehicles to get back to the storage unit. And I was looking forward the next day to traveling to Toronto to see our grandson. Um, I had packed everything into my car and I was in it when I real realized, oh, I forgot to tell Sarah something. And so I jumped out and in my haste, um, in running towards her to tell her something, I tripped over the little concrete stopper at the back of the parking spot. I'll tell you something, when this body starts moving, it is a little hard to stop it. And so I tried to stop my fall and I looked up and there was a chain link fence. And so I, luckily there was no one in the way. Thank you, Jesus. And I hurled towards the chain link fence and I tried to grab a hold of it so that I would not have to like fully fall over, but I only managed to break my nails and was hurled back onto the concrete and laid there in all that glory. There was enough people around, some of you will remember that morning, and uh, I, I, I just laid there trying to catch my breath, trying to somehow make sense of what just happened. I had no idea where my glasses were. I had uh, bashed my head into the side of the fence. And I laid there and I opened my eyes, but I couldn't see. And it wasn't black. I just couldn't see. I could not, there was no shapes that I could make sense of. And so I opened my eyes several times, just trying to figure out, why can't I see? And then finally, I, uh, I just said it out loud. I said, why can't I see? And a very soothing and comforting voice said, oh, you've got a cut on your nose and the blood is running into your eye. Let me get that for you. And that was Karina.
I had bruises. I had black eyes. I had a black bruise right on my heart. And I knew in that minute this was significant. This encounter of mine with Karina is not an exception, but it's rather the reflection of who she is at the core and how she deeply cares for others. And this is my point. Though the parallel and nature and the nature of my fall does reflect quite accurately what I am about to share. I'm even wearing the same blouse I wore that day. I am, I am trying to embrace all of this as much as I can. At our Zoom service last Sunday, Sarah and I shared our apologies for a recent decision we made that has caused some in our community harm. I will share that apology again today as we understand that not all of you will have heard that last week. But first I need to mention that what I'm about to say may trigger uh, some, especially if you are affected by talk of a sexual offender in relation to the church. And as a caveat to my and Sarah's apology, I need you to know that I will mention the individual's name, but it will not be included in the recorded podcast or on the video for our private Facebook group. Our apologies are about our process in allowing him to be part of our gathering. So as a kindness to this family, his family, who have already experienced an enormous amount of shame heaped on them. We will not include his name in the recordings. We mention this to bring clarity and understanding to our process. At our live gatherings in February, there was an individual who with my and Sarah's approval joined our worship team by playing an instrument, has completed a sentence after being found guilty of a sexual offense. He was invited to play by someone other than Sarah and I, but we were asked if that would be okay and said yes. We gave our consent without the approval of our steering team, choosing haste over process. At our next steering team meeting, we brought this up so that the team would be aware and afterwards, the loans raised a grave concern about the process of this decision. And in response, Sarah and I both wrote letters of apology to the team and included specific apologies to those most affected by our getting this process back to front and our haste in doing it. We are entirely accountable and responsible for overlooking the need to bring the request to the steering team before approving this invitation. As well, we've backtracked on our invitation to this individual, having met with skilled and knowledgeable people who cautioned us to move slowly and have a robust process to work through before even considering this individual's participation in our community. 
He was not left alone or on his own and was with a trusted person at all times, to be clear. But nonetheless, our error in judgment is now apparent to you all. We understand that this can be unsettling and upsetting, especially if you have any history of abuse. And we want to sincerely apologize to let you know that this individual has not, sorry, to let you know We want to sincerely apologize for causing you distress by this disclosure and by our naive actions. And for those who join us in our Zoom gathering, we want to let you know that this individual has not and is not ever part of our Zoom gatherings. Our sincere apologies for the harm we have caused and the impact this may have on you. We hope you can receive this. I would just like to add something that these last weeks have been pretty tough stretch for many of us. And try as we might, none of us are going to be able to navigate life perfectly. But please don't let a failure or your worst day define who you are. Our failures, if processed well, become the compost for your heart's garden. Take what seems like waste and consider what you can learn, accept, reject, and give it some time to become fertilizer, a catalyst for your own personal growth and healing. I'm sorry I'm not done. Uh, Sarah's away this week. She's in Tennessee. And please be praying for her. This has cost her an enormous amount, and we, she already works at a diminished capacity, uh, but prayers for her would be very welcome. So this is an apology from Sarah that she asked me to read. I've asked Eden to read my apology this morning as I'm visiting friends in Tennessee this week. I'm sorry not to be with you. I want to add my apology to the one that Eden has given in relation to our too hasty decision to let that person play in the band last month when we hadn't done the appropriate checks to consider the safety of our congregation. I'm sorry for my part in that. I didn't listen to my gut that said, hold on and check, and that was my error. My desire to be inclusive overtook my requirement as a leader to be protective, and for that I am very sorry. We have backtracked and removed the permission that we gave, but because that person played in public, I know our apology needs to be public as well. I am sorry to everyone who this has harmed truly. Bringing things into the light is important. Appropriate processes and levels of accountability are important. Leading a church is complicated and we really want to do it well. If you see something we're missing, would you please tell us? Thanks, and I'll see you next week. With, with love, Sarah. So already this morning looks different. And you'll notice that we don't have uh, musicians or a band up here. Um, but um, it was kind of a, 
a weird thing that happened. And, um, you know, due to travel and illness and people recovering, there just wasn't someone to lead us this morning. Uh, and so when something like that happens in your life and suddenly, you know, someone doesn't meet you for coffee or some sort of plan falls, falls out, just ask yourself, like, what are we giving space for? What does this make space for? And so um, I took some time to consider that. And so worship is going to look a little different this morning, uh, but there will be worship nonetheless. And this is where we're going to make space for a different kind of worship. For those of you who are in our live setting, you're free to move um, to the prayer station or to communion while I do this particular version of of worship. Um, And for the rest of us um, who are on Zoom, I think Steve managed to get um, some verses up. Is that correct? Correct? Awesome. Um, We're going to do a Lectio Divina. If you're Uh, If you're not familiar with the term or, like, what it is, let me sum up. Lectio Divina is a contemplative way of reading the Bible. It dates back um, to the early church, and it was established as a monastic practice by uh, Benedict in the 6th century. It's a way of slowing down how we read scripture. You know, for those of us who have had scripture... Uh, as part of our lives for years and years, um, maybe our whole lives, it can be easy to read a passage and kind of tune out because you're like, yeah, yeah, I know what this says. And, um, and this is slowing that down so that we experience the passage and the words more significantly than we have before. Um, so the way that it works is I'm going to read these verses four times. Before I read it, I will pose a question or give some direction as to what to listen for. You might like to just close your eyes to shut out any visual distractions or follow along as I read. We have a light show going on, hey? (laughs) Cool. All right, Um, so the passage we're reading this morning is uh, Romans 8, 38 and 39. So you know what? Our kids, um, Brad and my three boys, um, they all would identify as Christians, but um, the outworking of their faith, it looks quite different to Brad and mine. Um, But um, imagine my surprise when one of them sent me a verse this week. I'm just like... That's from the Bible, you know. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to let Justice, our son, pick our Lectio today. So I'm going to slowly read this. Just get a sense of what I'm reading to you, and maybe you can just um, close your eyes for this first one anyways. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither present 
or future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I'm going to read it again, and this time listen for any words or phrases that strike you, and, and listen with your heart. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present or future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to read it again, and as you pause on the words or the phrase that has struck you, take time to consider what the word or phrase or passage means, particularly in your life. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither present or future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to read it one last time. Consider now how God has spoken to you in this passage and respond back to them. You may want to consider how this passage is asking you to act differently. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present or future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in 
Christ Jesus, our Lord. We'll just take a minute to remain in God's presence and express our gratitude for their presence in our lives. As you reflect on this in the remainder of the day, if you do, if you're brought back to that place, you might consider which one of these would be the place where you would fear the most. And then maybe enter into that fear a little bit and look around for where Jesus is with you in that fear. Because apparently we cannot be separated from his love. You guys, I have the very best news right now. I am handing the mic over to someone else. <laughs> You've been very patient. Myrna, do you want to come up here? Thanks. Myrna shared with us not too long ago and told us about an upcoming trip she was taking to Albania. Um, well, she made it back, and um, she's going to share with us this morning. If you're still the kind of person who prays, I would encourage you to remember Myrna as you pray. Um, she works in a very conservative environment and is a safe person for some of the most vulnerable kids in that space. I know that she would appreciate that uh, support, that prayer support from you. Myrna has a rich history of following Jesus through some challenging adventures, and we're going to hear a bit about that this morning. Let me pray for you, Myrna. Jesus, thank you so much for Myrna. Thank you that she gets to take the mic and uh, that she has good news for us and that she is a woman of honor and that she has spent herself on you. Amen. All right, well... That was quite the intro. I'm not sure everyone in my life would describe me that way, but I'll take it. Um, <clears throat> so I have made it back from Albania. Sometimes I want to add sadly because I love it there. But uh, it really was uneventful as far as problems that we had traveling. And so I do want to thank you for your support um, prayer, financially, uh, some of the resources given. I know Ruth is here. She made like over 20 quilts. Others gave money. Others committed praying. Like it was just amazing what happened on this trip. So we, some of the things we did before I get into some of the stories is we were able to redo the entire church. And we mean redo, like the whole, it's much bigger than this and all the walls and ceilings and the lights were redone some of the electrical work we redid the stage the stage wall because they're kind of like the hill song of albania the people in the church and so they wanted kind of uh, some background for their youtube channel so we did some of that uh, so that was kind of fun but it was a lot of work 
we did home visits, we did youth ministries, ladies ministries, uh, church twice uh, on Sundays, two different churches. Uh, we went into the children's hospital, the cancer hospital, went into the residential house as well as what they call daycares out there which look a little bit different. The hospital, the residential house, the daycares, it's a Muslim country so it's illegal to do Christian things in those places. So we went from some Bible stories to the ugly duckling and Pinocchio. Um, but at the end, uh, and the church, I'll back up, the church isn't allowed to really support these organizations because of that. And so we went in and at the end with the directors, we would say, can we pray for you? And they would graciously say yes. And then I would wait to see if I'd be arrested or not. But they would say yes. And honestly, in all three of these places that the church wanted to be involved in, we were more than well-received. And they let us pray. And the church was ecstatic. Like They're like, please come back. You have an open invitation. And so what is impossible was now impossible, is possible for the church to come alongside and support and help. So that was a pretty incredible situation. We'll be going back again next year. We, they've already lined up. They're the first one signed for next year's trip. Um, some of the highlights, though, for me were the home visits. And one of them was to visit a young man. Uh, they asked if we would go to his house. He is dying. They didn't know how much time he had left. It was hard. I'm not going to lie, uh, he's a young man, wife, two young boys. And so we went, and he was diagnosed over a year ago, been through every treatment you can think of. And uh, so we went there, we listened, we cried, um, and then we said, can we pray for you? And then as we were praying, um, they're strong, if you know Baltic cultures, I'm Ukrainian, so it's kind of what I was raised with, but um, they're the men in particular, but the women too, like they're tough, right? And this guy hadn't cried since the diagnosis, and uh, we prayed for him, and he was crying like a child. And the wife said, he, he hasn't. And I really believe in that moment, he was experiencing those tears were a taste of God's love for him realizing that they were not in this alone. And of course, we have them set up with the church to help support, even with food supplies. The medicine is insanely expensive and hoping uh, um, some miracle for his life. Then in another home visit we went to, it was a woman who had just gone through chemo. Her prognosis is a little better, but still uncertain. So we, again, listened to stories, uh, talked, laughed, ate a lot of Albanian food, and then at the end of the visit said to her again, can I pray for you? And she said, yes, I would love that. And we prayed. Um, during the prayer and after, she wept and wept and wept because so many of these people, um, even how I was raised in Ukrainian background, uh, when someone says, how are you? You say, I'm fine, right? And that's as far as the conversation goes. 
So that's what was happening. She's like, I'm good, I'm good. But when we started talking about kind of that emotional component, it was like this release inside of her because they don't get that opportunity. It's not really a part of that culture, but there's so much there. And she wept and wept. And I'm telling you, at the end, she got off her chair, hugged me so tight that I'm like, okay, I'm going to die of suffocation. Like, I was just kind of like, oh. But she just hung on and wouldn't let go to the point that her daughter said, Mom, you, you got to let go of her. And so they kind of like pried her off me. And actually, I got to see her again when I was in the chemo ward, which was another awesome story I won't go into. But I believe for her, it wasn't really about me, but for her, it was an experience of God's love for her. And I think just even an element of hope. And that's kind of like the woman that I want to talk about today. When I looked at the lectionary passages, there was one in Matthew 26 that kind of stuck out. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard these jokes uh, where there's a priest and a minister and a rabbi and they all go into a bar. Okay, it's kind of like that, except what we've got is Jesus, angry man, and a woman with a jar. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today. And so what does this passage have to say? So in Matthew 26, you have it up there. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany in a home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining on the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why the waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, shut up. Okay, now that's Myrna's version. Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you always have with you, but you will not always have me. She then poured the perfume on my body, and she did this to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world... She ha what she has done will also be told in memory of me, which is quite incredible when you really think of those words. So much for the, all these like little religious men. She's the one who's going to be remembered. Before we get into dissecting the story, I want to talk a little bit about this alabaster box or jar, whatever the heck it is. So what is this that it's so important that it gets isolated in these passages? So it's made from hard marble stone, very hard to break, not impossible. It's meant to be broken open. And it's filled with a perfumed ointment called nard or spikenard. It's the same thing. And it's a sweet-smelling plant from India that was brought to the Middle East. And so these things are shaped often in an elongated vase with like a neck with no handles. And then the ointment put in and then it's sealed shut. They're super expensive, like 300 denarii, which is about a year's wage. So this wasn't a little thing. It was huge. So that's a year's wage, not just a year's wage, a year's equivalent of a year's wage of having saved up, OK? 
okay? So very, very expensive. It's designed on purpose to be opened once by breaking the box or the jar. So now that we have a little bit of background in it, when I read that short passage, what were some of the points that were coming out of that for me? Um, well, as I dug deeper, I realized that this story kind of comes up four times in the Bible with a woman in an alabaster box and kind of a guy named Simon. But there are some differences. So in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 12, they all are kind of telling the same story with Simon the leper, Jesus being anointed, but it was Jesus being anointed in preparation for his burial. Then in Luke 7, it's the same thing except they call the guy Simon the Pharisee and the conversation's a little bit different. The town is different. The purpose of the writing is different. So even though some scholars say it's one event, it doesn't seem to be. It seems to be at least two or more events. And because one's in Galilee, Luke's takes place in Galilee. And that person's referred to as a sinner, whereas the other three are in a town called Bethany, and the woman, the unnamed woman, seems to be Mary from Bethany. So that would be Lazarus' sister, Martha, that whole story. So it does seem to be at least two different events, and I'm going to be coming back to that. Uh, so in Luke's, I want to point out that because she's referred to as a sinner, what that means, unlike popular kind of myths, she wasn't a prostitute. There is no documentation actually on that. That's just people guessing she's a woman in sins, therefore she must be. There's actually no proof of that. She was a sinner, so wasn't following the uh, pharisaical laws or the Jewish laws. That's why she was a sinner. But she was still considered kind of the scum of the earth because woman and not following these laws. In contrast to Mary of Bethany, who was kind of like the saint. So we've kind of got in these two events, sinner and saint. And Julia can attest to that. We spent a good chunk of our lives in the same town. And uh, she saw me at my worst and knew myself and my sister. And my sister was someone who followed God her whole life. Um, and it's great. And I was a little bit of a wild child. Um, some people would refer to it as a black sheep. I prefer to thinking of it as adding color to my family, but um, ended up rejecting Jesus for quite a few years. <clears throat> when I think of these stories like Mary from Bethany, saint, this other unnamed woman from Galilee, sinner, kind of similar, but my sister and myself, did God love her more than me? Did God love the saint more than the sinner in these stories? Of course not, right? Like, God loves us all equally, and it's not dependent on our past. God does not hold our past against us, no matter how terrible it may be. And that was kind of that first lesson. Jesus uses all people, broken and less broken. We're all broken. Right? Like, there's no real saint and sinner. 
So God uses us all, and he doesn't hold the past. And this seems to be a theme that we'll see as we go through this. The second takeaway for me is that there's nothing you can do that would make God kind of ashamed of you to the point that he would reject you if you're desiring relationship with him. Nothing. Now, in thinking of the woman described in Luke, this woman is a sinner and outcast beyond being saved in their eyes. But this is not how God viewed her. And I'm talking about relationship with God here. I'm not talking about people facing natural consequences and boundaries being necessary and all those things. That's a given. But as far as relationship with God, nothing disqualifies someone from that. And it's not how God views us. Look at some of the heroes of the faith. This always makes, when I'm putting myself down, this always makes me feel so good. So I look at some of this and I'm like, okay, Elijah was suicidal. Moses was a murderer. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Noah had addiction issues. Jacob was a cheater. David was a rapist. Jonah ran from God. Like I could go on and on because I need a little building up once in a while. And so you look at all these heroes of faith, and they're all people who had issues. When God forgives our past, it is gone. He puts the past in the depths of the sea, which Micah 7.19 says. And just being in Albania and on the Ajax Sea, like the vastness, like you could just see the deepness when the waves come in. Like I just love that sound. And when you think of how deep that is thrown, like, it's quite incredible. And then he puts up a big old no fishing sign <laughs> up on that sea, right? Like, stop fishing in the sea of your past. Work it, learn from it, but don't get stuck. Jesus sees you, and he isn't ashamed of you, wherever you are on your journey and it looks different for every person you need to honor that he is drawn to you he chooses you and he desires to have a relationship with you another part that stuck out to me is God sees our hearts in a way no one else can like I said I grew up same house a little different than my sister so uh, I often thought I'm not saying it's accurate but I often thought people don't get me because in Christian communities, I was rejected because they didn't think I was conservative enough or, okay, let's be honest, just plain heathen. But then with my <laughs> friends who weren't of faith, then they would be like, whoa, you're like too Christian for us, right? And so you don't really fit anywhere. And so, but God knew my heart. God knows our hearts in a way maybe other people can't. Now think of this story. Everyone's at this supper or party, whatever you want to call it. This poor woman, she comes in, they're criticizing, they're judging her, they're belittling her, they're condemning her. And this happens in all four of those passages. But Jesus understood the heart. And he stood up for her, even though that wasn't you know, a politically correct thing to do at that time. He stood up for her. In Luke's passage... Not only were the men judging her, Simon also was judging Jesus, going, what is wrong with you? Like, you let her touch you, now you're unclean. And Jesus like, oh, seriously? And I love his response. It's one of my favorite responses in all the Bible. And he looks at Simon and goes, dude, like, do you see her? Do you see her? 
And it wasn't talking about the physical perceiving with the eyes. He was talking about the discerning of the heart. Like, can't you see what's going on for her? Like, do you see her? Because he did. Jesus could explain her actions because he knew exactly what was going on in her heart, whether people understood it or not. God sees you, not the social media you, but the real you. He sees the good, the bad, the ugly, and will still choose you every time. Another thing that stuck out for me when I read this is Myrna. Um, you got to walk in courage. And there's a few of us here work in a conservative organization. Uh, sometimes it's hard to be there for, our, for those kids and go against the crowd. And it's like you got to walk in courage. Franklin Roosevelt once said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. So like, think about that. I'm going to say it again. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than that fear. It took a lot of courage for this woman to break that bottle. Like, they're all in there. They're having supper. She comes in like, whack, bottle broke, right? Like, okay, someone's here. Like, it disrupted what was going on, okay? Then, she doesn't stop there. She then approaches Jesus, a man, then pours the perfume on his head. Then in front of all the men condemning her and belittling her, she continues to stay expressing her love to Jesus. She just didn't care. She wasn't, she was oblivious to really what was going on. Kind of like when that woman was hugging me after I prayed for her. She didn't care. Like she wasn't even seeing me. She wasn't seeing her family. It was something going on between her and God. Right? She knew her expression of love and worship were greater than her fear. Greater than what people thought of her. This woman was overcome with love for Jesus because of what he had done for her, for her family, and who Jesus was and the hope that he brings. The people could not understand her expression of love. They could not understand her passion. Like, think about that today. When you see a really passionate person, people are like, eh, where's the exit? Get me out of here. Like, people often are so afraid of what they don't understand. We have to get better at honoring each other's journey without the judgment, right? I know I've been there. Have you been there where you have felt misunderstood and judged for what another could not understand? It's okay. Jesus gets it, and he knows our hearts completely. Her worship was raw and real. She regarded no one else in the room. Only Jesus existed in those moments. I had to ask myself, how many of those moments have I had where I was that consumed and that dialed in that only Jesus mattered? Am I for some of you even be hard uh, to step foot in here today um, because 
someone knows your story. Don't let that stop you. You belong here. Forget about what people may think. Forget about those around you. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not. But keep that head up. Eyes on the prize. Focus on Jesus like what these women did. They were all in. And I remember a childhood song I used to sing <laughs> when I was going to Sunday school before I got kicked out. Uh, it went something like this. Not yet. Um, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Another point that stood out for me is don't worry, and we've kind of talked about this, about what other people think. This woman worshipped full out, holding nothing back. Both of these events, these women were judged, they were ridiculed, they were mocked, and it just simply didn't matter. As a therapist, I can't tell you the amount of times I hear people coming into my office really damaged because of another's opinion or words spoken over them. A wise person once said, um, if I would not let this person into my house, why on earth would I let them into my head and worse yet my heart? 7.7 billion people in the world, does the opinion of one or two really matter? I know it's hard. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt and it doesn't affect. But in the bigger picture, which is the perspective we sometimes lose. Letting others' op uh, opinions control you and what you say or do is a quick and guaranteed way of losing yourself and missing out on God's purpose in your life. You deserve more. These women understood that. They embraced their truth. They embraced their worth, and they knew it didn't come from another's opinion of them. It came from inside, tapping into and celebrating who God made them to be. They were enough, and you are enough. And it matters not what another person's opinion is. It may hurt, but another's judgment has more to do with their character flaws than yours. John Wooden once said, reputation is what others perceive you as being, and their opinion may be right or wrong. Character, however, is what you really are, and no one knows that but you. But you are what matters the most. God does not see us through the eyes or opinion of another. Another point... Uh, was in the brokenness, there is healing and release. For the perfume to be poured on Jesus' head, that bottle had to be broken. This reminded me of the Japanese art form called Kitsukuroi or Kintsuji. With Kintsuji, when a bowl is broken, it falls off a table, they don't just sweep it up, throw it in the garbage, they pick up each and every piece. And then they get the gold lacquer and they fill those cracks with that. And now this bowl becomes a thing of value and beauty. And it's stronger and it's cherished. It's treasured. The perfume in our story could not be released 
without the broken vessel. The vessel cannot be broken without surrender. Beauty arises from brokenness in the form of healing under the ointment of surrender. The same is true in our lives. We have no clue of what's in store for us when we surrender what we cannot control anyways. This unnamed woman who seemed to be Mary of Bethany had no idea she would be remembered and talked about for all of time because of her reckless, abandoned love for Jesus. Maybe that's why they didn't directly say, this is Mary of Bethany, because it maybe just didn't matter who she was. It was about what she did. She was surrendering to do what she knew in her heart to do, and that's going to look different for each person, because who she knew Jesus to be. I couldn't help but think of an old hymn as I pictured this woman at the feet of Jesus giving all that she had. And before I just give my closing remarks, I would like you to just kind of close your eyes and picture her at the feet of Jesus and hear these words from an old hymn. My dad would, mom, my mom would roll over in grave if she knew I was quoting this hymn. But seriously, picturing the woman at the foot of Jesus, and I honestly think this would be some of the words that she would say. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give, I will ever love and trust him in his presence fully live i surrender Jesus, I surrender humbly at his feet. I bow, worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender Jesus, I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. 
to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Join me. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Surrender is the way to peace. Surrender is the only way to give and receive love. What's in your alabaster box? What will we do with our box? Let's break and empty your alabaster box because fragrance comes only through the surrender and the breaking and the pouring out. Thanks, Myrna. Um, well, that was interesting. Uh, thanks for... All right. Well, the next time we meet together, folks, it's Easter. Does that surprise you? Two weeks from now is Easter. We'll be back here. And, um, and we will have a worship team, and we will have a guest speaker who happens to live in my house. Uh, so that's hopefully going to be fun. Um, I'm going to close our time by reading Romans 8, 38, and 39 one more time as a blessing and as a reminder as you leave. So for, for I am convinced, we are convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither present or future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Hope you enjoy the rest of the day and that the sun comes out for all of us. <laughs>